Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another Uncovered Podcast. I'm Jared Kimber. With me is Bayram Kazi. We're going to be talking about well, so, ma- so many, many things. Uh, a couple of genders of ashes. Uh, Tama Mikbal's retirement, which was slightly longer than a constipated poo. Uh, Afghan versus Bangladesh. The World Cup qualifiers, plus, I suppose, the World Cup qualified. Um, and Ambati Raidu, who... Uh, who also retired briefly, I suppose. Maybe, maybe this is the retirement episode. I'm not sure. Um, Barham, let's start with the the men's ashes. That was the that was the big caboodle this week. That's obviously where I was as well. Three tests in, all of them have been close. Uh, I, I think person for person, you still say Australia looks like a better team. England aren't that much luck away from being two one up themselves. Although they've had all the best of the conditions probably so far. So, um, and you can't you can't complain too much about luck when you pick someone who I don't think uh, they had looked at wicket keeping in quite some time um, after his broken leg and decided that he'd be fine in a test match. All these sorts of things. But the point is that this is a fantastically exciting, crazy, close Ashes so far. I think. It's not 05 Ashes. The quality of the cricket isn't, you know, if I, as far as I can remember, Zach Crawley didn't play in the 05 Ashes. You know, the level <laughs> of talent is slightly different. Um, but it is an absolutely fantastic series from a three close test um, uh, over and over again after all the hype with big teams playing. So everyone's watching and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I think you could probably call it the best since the 05 Ashes. And yeah, I mean, England could very well have been 2-1 up at this stage. But good that they've won it headingly. It keeps the series alive. It keeps us spectators glued to our TV sets, which has been the case in this entire series or the three tests thus far. And I find it remarkable that after dropping 9,000 catches at headingly, I'd say, give or take, England have still managed to win. And Instantly, that brings up, I guess, the burning question that do they persist with Johnny Bairstow as the glovesman? I mean, there's been so much talk around Ben Folks being the best keeper in England. Stokes himself has called him the best keeper in the world. So you'd have to think that they must find a way to fit him in somehow, somewhere. But I just have a feeling or an inkling that England aren't going to do that. They're going to persist with Bairstow, aren't they? Well, I mean, if they were going to do it, uh, I suppose this was the test that they would have done it, right? They They would have batted... Mo and Ellie in a different position. Uh, they, you know, and, and would have done that. But the truth is, and we talked about this before on, um, before the Ashes started, that if Ben Stokes can't bowl, which is pretty much where we look like mm-hmm. we're at at the moment, then the entire flexibility of that team disappears. And part of that flexibility, of course, is Ben Stokes coming in, right? Mm-hmm. If you have Mo and Ellie and Ben Stokes both bowling, you only need three specialists around them. It gives mm-hmm. you huge flexibility. Best I could probably play in the team. And, you know, our folks bats at number seven, number eight, I suppose, if you wanted to, depending on, depending on the kind of uh, teams you want to put together, and you'd be fine, right? That's mm-hmm. not where we are. That That's not wow. how England are. Um, you know, I, I mean, on top of everything else, Ben Stokes' butt broke. Like, uh, he also got hit in the balls mm-hmm. at one stage. Like, Everything's falling apart. He's back in the slips. We haven't seen him in the slips for a while since he broke his finger. But I think they just went, well, there's no point putting him anywhere else. He can't move, right? So, yeah, I think from that perspective, it was a very, very um, – uh, I think they were a little bit hamstrung. But you, your overall point makes sense, right? Like, if they had a wicketkeeper who had caught a normal amount of runs, I remember that Johnny Bairstow's made almost 
identical amount of runs to Alex Carey so far mm-hmm. in this series. So if they had a wicketkeeper who caught the normal amount of takes, uh, England would be probably 2-1 up at this stage, mm-hmm. or at least maybe also, would have made the other test I, even closer. Would, could they have been any closer? They, they could have been somewhat closer, I think. England should have won that first test. Okay, Edge Baston was England's game to lose. And you could say that at Lord's, they kind of made a fist out of it and they weren't ever supposed to get close in that game, right? So there's that bit of thing going on over there. But um, I personally feel that uh, England are well balanced over here right now, given that Wokes and Wood have come into this team. I mean, Wokes was, you know, bringing in all of that experience. He had that composure at the end, took six wickets in the test match, scored some valuable runs. And Mark Wood was a revelation. I mean, he bowled with blistering pace and that's just... What the luxury that England were missing to have an enforcer like that, you can run through the tail, and that's what Wood allowed them to do in the first innings. And he got a fifer. So, Wood and Wokes, the two W's of England, who thought I'd ever say that before? Uh, but anyway, they combined to take 13 wickets and also 82 runs, if I'm not wrong. So, that is a stellar mm. contribution, and I think that inspired bit of selection. Ultimately, you, you'd have to say one England test match, but do not forget, of course, Harry Brook. Of course, he was allowed to bat at his preferred position as Moeen decided to come bat at three. So he got valuable runs in the second innings. We finally saw him, you know, live up to his billing. And he too was a hometown hero. You know, he's a Yorkshireman. And then Ben Stokes on one good knee scored that knock of 80 without which England were not even close to coming into this game or coming back into this game. So I think it's the combination of those four performances. But the question remains that does Ben Stokes then go on to risk the remainder of his cricketing career by playing at Old Trafford? Because clearly his knee is very, very faulty at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. The Harry Brook one's really interesting about the whole batting order thing because mm. he made runs down the order. And I'm not saying he made them because he went back down the order, but I, I thought that was probably his best innings in, in Test cricket, mm-hmm. all things considered. Uh, you know, quality of the bowling, uh, the pitch, and, and how everyone else was batting on that pitch and the way that he played. But he also mm. didn't particularly look like he wanted to bat at number three. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I followed it enough to see if what the reason was was it was a left hand, right hand thing. Whether they sent Moeen Ali up just as a disruptor to put Australia off. I think I read was... something in which Moeen had told Stokes that he's feeling it. You know, vibes. Of course, basketball runs on vibes. So oh, but that's okay. He was then. feeling it. He yeah, thought yeah. he could take them on at number three, but that did allow to uh, Harry Brook to bat lower. And I think that. England will have to sort this out. Does Joe Root come and bat at number three? Does Johnny Bairstow promote himself if there's another keeper to bat at three? Or do they send in the Nighthawk? Because that's mm. always an option. <laughs> well, I think I think going forward, if Ben Stokes isn't the all-rounder anymore, surely he mm. has to bat at three, right? Surely that is yeah. the position that he has to go in. Fair enough. I think, you know, there's even been talk, of course, at times of him opening. I think George Dobell might have written a piece. If not, George Dobell was working on a piece at one stage about how mm. uh, uh, Ben Stokes might open. Uh, so th- there's certainly something to be said for those sorts of things, of, you know, of, of, of doing that. Because if he's not bowling, then you have to get the most out of him. But as you said, there's almost nothing left of Ben Stokes yeah. at this point. I think he was certainly played the last two tests here. Um, but his knees aren't getting any better. He seems to pick up a new strain or a new pain every time he's out there. It's it's mm-hmm. incredible um, to think of, like, by the end of it, it'll just be like, all we'll see out on the field will be ginger hair, right? There'll be no body <laughs> left out there. It'll be like, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll be like the head from Futurama. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which I suppose is actually how Mike really captained England was ahead from Futurama mm-hmm. in many ways. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, so, I mean, you, you talk about Wogues and Woods. I mean, if they thought, especially in Wokes' case, if they thought they were going to get that out of Wokes, they would have played it before, right? So I, mm. I don't know if you could say it's brilliant selection. It was literally down to the fact that they couldn't pick Jimmy Anderson anymore. He clearly needed uh, to rest and, and think about it. So there's a bit of dumb luck in that. Whereas Australia also had a huge amount of dumb luck. I mean, the, the reason that they won, or uh, well, sorry, almost won this test is essentially Mitchell Marsh, right? Who yeah. has, hasn't played any first-class cricket, wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to play, comes from nowhere. And, and he's created that classic... Um, a situation where someone does really good as a fill-in and it actually like screws everything up. So what happens now? Do they drop yeah. Warner as a wicket keep, as a wicket keep, as an opener, right? Like, mm-hmm. do they? How do they fit all these players in? They're not going to drop Head, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Warner, you know, they're not going to drop Manus. They're not going to drop Smith. Uh, do they drop a bowler? And do they play Green and Marsh as like the combined four or five bowlers? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, do they not play? Not, no. Yeah. Do they not play Murphy? Um, and, mm. and uh, you know, and go without a spinner. Again, 
probably not. He, he wasn't really needed much in this test match. I thought he bowled yeah. fine in the first innings. Uh, probably should have got Ben Stokes out a lot earlier than he did, but the, mm. the two drops back to back. But didn't mm-hmm. bowl particularly well in the second inning. Part of that was I thought Pat Cummins actually forgot that he had to bowl him. Um, and by the time he brought him yeah. on, it just wasn't it wasn't a good time to bring him on. But but I do runs think, were required, right? When he brought him on, I thought that was a bit bizarre. Or something. No, I think it was uh, earlier right than that. The end. No, he brought him on the first mm. time. I think he got the over before lunch. Um, mm. And then the second time he brought him on, Harry Brook was in. I think that's right. Mm. And, and Harry Brook was actually playing, uh, played him really, really well all the way probably through this. Um, I think he, I'm trying to think. No, Harry Brook didn't. Uh, I think, well, I think Harry Brook's got a good record against Ospin. Maybe that was what I was confusing it with. But I just didn't think Cummins used him particularly well. Now, Old Trafford, the problem with that is that Old Trafford is a spinner's pitch. And so you are mm. probably going to need a, a spinner to be able to bowl there. But it, it does show you that Mitchell Marsh has created very, very big problems. And the same with England, right? Wokes you, you is probably, can probably... Here, here for one test. And now, yeah. Wokes is probably going to have to play Robertson, Anderson, the Tongue. There's a lot of questions. Mm? Lots of selection conundrums. I'll come to Australia first. I think the big one over here is David Warner. Does he play that test match or not? Because, you know, conventional wisdom suggests that Stuart Broad is going to get him out twice again. He would have had him 18 times had he not been dropped off his bowling, I think, at Lords, was it? But uh, I think Warner will find it very, very tough to retain his spot. Now, the question is, what do you do with the second opening slot? Do you bring in one of Marcus Harris or Matt Renshaw? I mean, you could do that, sure. But I feel like there's a lack of experience over there that might you know, uh, make Aussie, make the Aussies question that decision. You could also promote Travis Head as opener because he does it in ODI cricket. But then again, Head has been so successful in the lower middle order. I mean, he got runs again. He smashed that 77 when Australia needed it most. Had Australia won this game, it would have been that Travis knock ultimately. And Mitchell Marsh comes out of nowhere, slams 100, like you said, no first-class experience, pulling everything left, right and centre, some booming drives in there. He has England to thank, of course, as well, because Root dropped him early on when he was like on 9 or 13 or something like that. And then Cam Green is the best bouncer in this Australian team, you'd have to say. So would you not play him? I think it might be a decent shout to maybe open with someone else and have both Marsh and Green, but I don't see that happening. And Scotty Boland, like if you open with someone else, okay, right? Mm-hmm. Who do you yeah. open the batting with? Firstly, you can't you can't maybe just throw Manus. that out there, hey? Maybe Marsh. Okay, so Marsh hasn't, hasn't made any form. runs. Marsh yeah. hasn't made any runs, and you're now moving him to a position he doesn't bat in. Do you know what I mean? It's the yeah, same with he... England. There is no answers. Uh-huh. That that ultimately, mm-hmm. we're at that point where. I think Australia is the better team. I think England has a very good theory and, uh, you know, and also is um, is playing decent enough cricket, not that far off the level that Australia has played. So you're at that theory now where the best 11 is no longer the best 11, mm-hmm. right? You, yeah, it's about It's about true. matchups. It's about, you know, what you can do for Old Trafford. It, it might be a situation where I don't think Australia would... There's no way... I haven't sent a message to anyone in the Australian camp, although I might send one later. <laughs> but there's no way coming into this series they thought, what if at one stage we have Cameron Green as our fourth bowler and Mitchell Marsh as our fifth bowler, right? They would never, mm-hmm. ever have even considered that as an option mm-hmm. coming in. And right at the moment, even if they don't do it, there's no doubt there's someone at that meeting going, but, right? And the same with yeah. Warner. Warner hasn't had an unsuccessful Ashes, right? Mm-hmm. He hasn't been brilliant. But I mean, he's been, uh, uh, I'm going to try and bring this up as we talk, but my, my guess is that he's been more or less on a sort of similar level um, to Zach Crawley in that he's been, mm-hmm. he maybe hasn't had the, uh, atta- you know, the attacking side that, that Crawley's had. But from an from a impact point of view, he's mostly been around to get rid of the new ball. As you mm-hmm. said before, we know that, we know that he's going to be, um, uh, what do you call it? We know that he's, we know that at any stage, Broads is probably going to get him. But he made sixty six the previous Test mm-hmm. match, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not Played like well versus India as well in that first innings. Got forty odd, I remember. Yeah, I actually so, thought. So let's just have yeah, a look. He, so let's have. A, I just want to find his record. Now I can't find it. So Warner has hundred and forty one runs. So he doesn't have a lot of runs, but he has quite mm-hmm. a few starts. Right. Yeah. Um, he's got an average of twenty three. So Crawley's mm-hmm. got an average of thirty two. Um, oh, wow. Good so, on you, Zach Crawley. Yeah. Well, well done <laughs> to him for having a slightly... And Crawley has 150 and Warner has 150. So there, there's a bit of a difference there, but there's not a massive amount of difference. Warner's down with Carey and Bear, so 
um, and Labashain as probably the players who have struggled the most. Mm. But the point is that Warner has more often than not been handy at the top so far. If you mm -hmm. take him away, you are taking a huge chance and everyone has to move as well. Because if, if they move uh, Warner, Manus has to move, but Steve Smith also has to move, mm -hmm. right? And it's a bit what you were talking about before. If Brook goes back to his normal position, then Root has to move, right? And then someone mm. still has to bat at number four, and maybe it's Brook. And then at that point, he's saying, is there that much difference between batting at three and four? I would mm -hmm. say there's about 50 balls difference, although in this series, probably about 40 <laughs> balls different. Um, do you know what I mean? There's just absolutely no... This is so messy. And this is why yeah. test series over five matches are so incredible. Because at a certain point, you end up with like this mishmash of, of, mm. of these situations that don't happen. They now know exactly. The Warner Broad thing is so fascinating because Australia can go, Warner hasn't had as horrible a series as maybe the overall figures have shown in that he's been able to nullify the new ball a few times and get Australia off mm -hmm. to some starts. If nothing great, obviously, and he hasn't gone on to have a big impact. And also, they will say at the exact same time, but if, if Broad doesn't get him in his first spell, he's going to get him in his second spell. And that's going to be around mm -hmm. the 20 to 25 over mark, which means that chances are, at best, Warner's going to get to 50 if he's scoring at a decent clip, right? Also, also, you lose a fantastic slip fielder if you get rid of Warner. So he does add more value to the team. And Australia, look, uh, they've got some stuff going right for them as well. You've got Mitchell Stark and Pat Cummins. They go, both mm -hmm. got Fifers at Headingley. They've looked very, very impressive. I think this is the best we've seen of Stark in Test cricket in a while. And that's really good. He's been swinging the ball. He's been, you know, has that rapid pace as well. Still click clocking around 90 miles per hour. But then Scotty Boland failed to take a wicket this Test match. So that's where, you know the way Australia have been this pragmatic bunch, all ashes, I wouldn't be very surprised if they go with both Marsh and Green. But then there are some questions to be answered over here. And I'd just like to see if they are reactive or do they just stick to the same 11 and be like, okay, we've got a good bunch. But you're, you're see, this is why this is also fascinating because everything mm. you just said was right. Boland probably, we probably won't see Boland or maybe Ollie Robinson again in the Sashes, right? Yeah. I mean, That's I hope it. we don't see Ollie Robinson in the Sashes again because I think Josh Tong didn't do much wrong yeah. to be removed from that team. And this is Old Trafford. This is Jimmy Anderson's home ground. If you're going to try him once more, this is where you try him. And I think it makes perfect sense for England to drop Robinson now. He can go on and write his columns for Wisden and someone else can have a ball. <laughs> That's fine. Let's get back to Boland. So you say drop Boland, yeah. right? And I don't think we'll see Boland again in the Sashes. But in your system, what you just said, Hazelwood can't come back in the team. Yeah. I right? mean, you do and, go and with that. And the thing about heavy. Hazelwood is, I don't think he's been bowling particularly well in this series. But mm -hmm. he's, he's, got eight, he's got eight wickets at 32. Um, and you're basically making a big call there that he doesn't play. You're also, from a physical standpoint, putting a lot of pressure on Cameron Green, who's already had mm -hmm. a hamstring injury, and uh -huh. then also Mitchell, uh, Mitchell Marsh, right? Mm -hmm. Who... He's also someone who breaks down quite a bit when he has to bowl. So the, 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 the perfect situation here just does not exist, right? And that's yeah, why it's, it's all so fascinating. And that's kind of what I'm saying. The, the further the sort of the five tests un, unleash or unravel, it's like, oh, my God, you have to think about micro uh, matchups. You have to think mm -hmm. about how you fit people in. You, Australia, if, if, if Australia had won this test match, mm -hmm. then they could have easily said to Cameron Green, we know you fit for the next test match, right? Just take a spell. We just want to see Mitch Marsh one more time, right? Yeah. Because I don't, th I, I don't I think England bowled very well to Mitch Marsh, right? And I think if they bowl better to Mitch Marsh, I don't know if he will score again. And if that's the case, mm -hmm. Australia will have a bit more understanding of Mitch Marsh, right? They can't do that now, right? Well, the law now of they have to make a decision to win the next test, right? The, the law of averages suggests that Mitch Marsh won't do well at Old Trafford, but then you just can't say that, right? Because he just scored mm. a fantastic ton. And I don't think anyone has pulled the ball better, right? We saw some cracking mm. pull shots from him. And even those He also drives, got crawling I mean, out twice. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm pretty sure if you started playing professional cricket as a leggy, you'd probably get crawly out twice at some point as well. But one thing I'd like to point out over here, actually, it's two things. One, that I think the Headingley surface was as good as it gets. This is one I want to see more of in this Ashes because it gives England a better shot at winning. Those flat tracks did not give England a good mm. shot at winning. And one thing that I was impressed from from England's perspective is that in the first innings, there was a period of play where they were just scoring at three runs per over. Now, that's not baseball. That means that they have actually adapted their style of play and are mm. looking to be a bit more 
uh, intelligent with respect to their approach. And I think that is a very, very key takeaway, but that not a lot of people are talking about. No, I think you're right. I, I talked to Andrew Sampson and and, it, and I, I was saying, I felt like the run rates were down in this test. And he said, overall, mm-hmm. they're not down. He said, what's been happening is that teams have been ramping up and ramping down, which is mm-hmm. kind of how you're supposed to play test cricket. That's not to say that the yeah. baseball element doesn't work because when England needed the baseball element, that still was mm-hmm. something, you know. So Zach Crawley getting off to a, big, a quick start every time and and yeah. duck it as well does actually and Mark put, would yeah well, but the two <laughs> openers puts the shit off right because yeah. they realize that they can't make too many errors early on and that's a that's a tricky situation to be in right if you're not Absolutely. 100% sure where you're going to be putting the ball that is a very very tricky situation from that point of view so there are still parts of that that system that work very well and of course then Ben Stokes at the end the Mark Wood innings is is fascinating because i actually think Mark Wood can bat Mm-hmm. And he's clearly made a decision that he doesn't care if he can bat. He's just going to bat this way. <laughs> but in this particular game, there was no better way to go. And in fact, when Pat Cummins batted in the third innings, I was next to Sam Allard from TalkSport. And Sam Allard's a massive KKR fan. And I just turned to him mm-hmm. and I said, do you know what they need, Australia? They need KKR's Pat Cummins, right? They need yeah. the guy who just takes, takes it on because it was a good fast pitch. Right, mm-hmm. the ball would have come onto the bat perfectly. Pat Cummins likes that, um, uh, you know, the fast, uh, the, the pace coming in. Not, not the first couple of balls, as I think Mark Wood approved in the first innings. But he didn't I, even get the bat near the ball versus yeah. Mark Wood, right? <laughs> but we've seen him flat bat, you know, 92, yeah. 93 mile an hour balls mm-hmm. before. He's a brilliant striker of the ball from that point of view. And it was really interesting that it, it sort of shows you why you do need a multitude of. And this comes back to that, that five testing we were talking about before and how it unravels. Yeah. Because that was a perfect situation where all Australia really needed was maybe Pat Cummins would have got 20, 20 runs off 50 balls by just squidging it around. But Pat True. Cummins could have hit 40 runs off 15 balls and completely upset England's plan for a couple of minutes. Or he could have you know gone on for a little bit because they then would have had to bring Mo and Ellie on, which would have upset what they were trying. Mm-hmm. All these different things that you can do. That is why that sort of Nighthawk, or I don't know what, yeah. what would Mark Wood be, the, the imaginary horse of de- death of Mark Wood, right? <laughs> That's why those sorts of things work. That, I, I've said a lot that, you know, Shardul is not an all-rounder, but Shardul's mm-hmm. ability to be a chaos batter, right, mm-hmm. is very, very valuable in a slightly different way. And, and Absolutely. I was, you know, I was commentating with uh, Jeremy Coney uh, and, you know, we're, we were spending a lot of time together in, in the share house and we were walking into the ground. We were talking about Richard Hadley's um, uh, batting. And, you know, we were sort of saying, you know, he's not, uh, you know, he's probably not quite an all-rounder on the level that Kapil Dev and, and the other mm-hmm. guys were. But but we we're talking about how his batting would tra- transform in, in modern cricket. And and obviously in T20 cricket, he was a brilliant hitter of the ball, so it would have gone very mm-hmm. well. But we were even talking in test cricket, he probably would have been unleashed in test cricket to say, mm-hmm. okay, we're well, going to bat at number eight. We want... You might average 20, but we're hoping you average 20 with a strike rate of 120 and you scare the hell out of people. And occasionally you're going to bat at number three and occasionally mm-hmm. you get about at number five. And you know, you're going to, what would, what would the, the paddle hawk, what would a ste- steamboat paddle? I don't know. I don't know what Richard Hadley's um, uh, nickname would have been as, as that kind of player, but all those Oh, I got one for Mark important. Wood. He could be the woodpecker. Oh God, that's better than mine. <laughs> I do like the imaginary horse of death, and I don't really know what it means as a phrase. Uh, but the woodpecker also. Mm. This is something I was going to put this on 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 Twitter and on Threads and anywhere mm. else. Oh. In, I, I, Mastodon, if I could remember what my login was. But um, have you ever thought about what your name would be if uh, you were a computer character? Yeah, so let's say you're a professional cricketer and you make it to the mm-hmm. top level of cricket, and then you. And then some, there's a cricket game version of you where they can't use your real name, right? Oh, right. thought about what your name would be? Because I was in the shower earlier and I thought I would be Gerard Timber. Ah, right? I like that. Which I thought worked a lot. Anyway, if you have any, feel free to put them in the, in the comments and, and we'll put Beza. them in. I'd go with later. Beza Kaz. Beza Kaz. So what, yeah. so and you, I'd be playing for Australia in this game because it's a game. Also, you've, that's a lot of Zs in, in your yeah. Beza Kaz. Um, <laughs> Uh, of course, the most famous one of all time is was it um, Shahid Akhti for Shoaib Akhtar in Cricket 07? That's one. Yeah, but no, there's some players who have names which actually almost are, almost look like they're fake names of of players. <laughs> um, it, uh, you know, Brendan McMullen is that what it is? Mm. Ma- Ma- that's a is real that- cricketer. 
That guy plays for Scotland. I mean. No, that's <laughs> what I mean. There are cricketers with names that actually. There's um. God, I've forgotten. Is it Brian Vittori that played for Zimbabwe? Yes. But Vittori was spelled mm-hmm. V-I-T-T. Anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, if you have your own uh, fake name, feel free to put them in. And if not, we'll um. Uh, I'll put some tweets out later, and we'll see what sort of mad ones people can come up with them, <laughs> themselves. Uh, from a neutral's perspective, it's just a fun ashes, right? Like it's oh, it's lovely. Just, you know, I was on the BBC before um, day four, and they were like, oh, you know, tell us the truth. You know, you want Australia to win. I said, look, I cover a lot of cricket. And mm-hmm. if Australia win, I think it will be one of the closest four 3 nil um, in three tests that we've ever had, right? And that doesn't mean that Australia is not better than England. And I still expect Australia to probably win this series. I haven't really changed from my 3-1 prediction. So, I'm, you know, I'm more or less there. I just need a draw somehow. Um, uh-huh. But, but. What I would say is that from what the worst thing about this Ashes would have been if Australia had, you know, got those last couple of wickets. If, you know, every time Chris Wokes spooned the ball up in the air, it actually went to a fielder and uh, the Muckwood catch carried down to Scott Boland and Alex mm-hmm. Gary didn't make a mess of it um, and all these sorts of things. So I did what I did wonder. Um, uh, so I did basically say, like, from a cricket perspective, this is a big moment in, in, in an exciting series. You kind of want it to go as far as possible. So the fact that England have won this is quite important for the i was gonna say for the narrative but i don't really mean the narrative i really mean mm-hmm. for the hype and for the the interests and for you know cricket in the uk and and also cricket in australia and also cricket elsewhere i'm sitting here in pakistan and everyone is absolutely hooked to the ashes because like you said the scoreline may read 2-1 and australia is up but england could very well have been up in the series and all of those test matches have been so closely fought that it really is compelling test cricket. You're watching every single day with a lot of interest and you don't want the series to die out just yet. So all of my family, and I'm in like this big family reunion sort of thing, everyone was stoked that England won just because everyone is enjoying these ashes so much and they don't want it to die out so early. So in that regard, I think this is a great advert for ashes cricket. And I mean, we I know this is thrown on or thrown out a lot that, oh, test cricket is being saved or whatever. Test cricket is fine as is. This is proof of that, that... I don't think the game is under threat when we're going to get these sort of these sort of matches. Mm. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you something else. IG said um, uh, that he's happy for me because he saw I'd been invited to those shows. So I've been invited for those mm-hmm. shows for years. So I think he's talking about when I was on Talk TV. So in 2009 mm-hmm. Ashes, I did BBC and CNN. The difference now is that, um, and you know, all the way through, and and most cricket journalists kind of knock them back because it's annoying to go and do those shows so for instance i did bbc uh, five live radio the other morning and uh i'd been out the night before uh it was damien fleming was about to leave the country he was just doing the first three tests with us on the commentary and so i woke up a little bit late and i woke up because the bbc had called my phone 25 times because i'd agreed to do an early morning um <laughs> radio hit right so we usually don't do them the difference at the moment is most summers i get asked to do these and you say is there a fee and they go um no or they they come up with a very very small amount at the moment i'll say this about england the appetite is so big that people are paying uh, you know people mm. within the you know cricket pundits and cricket media to come on all these shows and that is very different it's a, there's a difference between we need to fill you know the the 42 minute mark to 58 um uh, a minute mark with a couple of people let's get some um, cricket on and the other side of that of literally um having paying random people to come on you know i was on with alan lamb on one of those shows i had to knock back mm. Piers morgan because why on earth would i want to go on that <laughs> show right all these sorts of things are happening all the time and you know getting messages from from places that i wouldn't normally get messages from it shows yeah, like, you that for instance just sorry to cut you off over there but for instance yeah. ps morgan is now going to be playing cricket on fox and friends so isn't that like doesn't yeah. that epitomize what you're talking about <laughs> yeah i think so th- these things are important for cricket and i know that mm. a lot of for a lot of us you know we we get bored of the ashes sometimes not this particular one but as a general concept and we we get frustrated by the minutiae bullshit of the Alex Carey haircut story and all these oh, yeah. all these stupid things that go around the sport. You know, Zach Crawley, we will win by 150 runs, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but when uh, when you have a really good series like this, and you can go back to you know um, Australia India a couple of years ago, uh, you can even go back to the Pakistan England um, series when yeah. when when uh, even though it wasn't as close fought, but because it was England going to Pakistan, all these sorts of different and the, the exciting cricket that they were playing when these things happened. It is very good for cricket as a whole. Um, 
And as a, and I don't mean as an a-hole, that wasn't a Piers Morgan joke, but, but what I mean is that <laughs> the, the minutiae and the nonsense and the energy and all that sort of stuff that is going on that most people in this chat would be like, oh, God. I can't believe I have to deal with another, you know, you know, you've got some person who doesn't know anything about cricket being an expert on some TV show, having to come on and, and talk about all that sort of stuff. And I get, I, and I understand all um, the energy behind that and why people would think that. But the point is that when cricket enters the mainstream, it's actually a very good thing for us. Boy. It means some people who wouldn't normally find it will find it. And that is important from an Australia, England point of view, but it's also important if it's some, I don't know, kid in Mexico who mm -hmm. is suddenly trying to work out why cricket is on the TV. It, all these things matter to our sport as much as possible. And we don't get many great test series because it's hard to have a close and exciting test series. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we're talking about how many we've ever had where there are three tests in a row that have come down to the wire in a way that these ones have, mm -hmm. right? In, you know, we've had back-to-back -back tests that are really, really close, but usually there's a drubbing after that or whatever. The fact that we've had three tight, you know, um, act, uh, action sloggy weird test matches is phenomenal <laughs> and it does get to does get um attention so it's a really good thing for cricket even if you know it's more than fine if you're sitting there go oh, now i have to listen to some random english celebrity <laughs> or, or or worse the australian and english prime ministers getting involved i mean look, don't get me wrong i wish they would fuck it right I, and i do i honestly <laughs> always feel that in this way i wish they would just fuck the fuck off but what I would say is that means that it has got well beyond the sports pages and well beyond cricket diehards. And these are important things for cricket. And I'm going to take this a step further, Baron. We've got the women's ashes on at the moment, which is mm -hmm. a, a plus and a minus. It's a minus mm -hmm. from a media perspective because right. you can't cover both. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a few people I tried to cover all. I think Jeff Lemon is covering every test match in the UK this summer. The majority mm -hmm. of us just cannot do that. We have to take time off. You know, we have to see our families. We have to do other work, all these sorts of different things. And then you've right. got all the T20s and the one days, which actually clash with the test matches. So from mm -hmm. that point of view, they haven't done very well. But this is what I'll tell you. I've been traveling around the UK this summer and the amount of times that the, the test match finishes and all the cricket fans go into a pub and they make the TV person put on the cricket that's on and it's the women's, uh, you know, ash, and a women's uh, T20. Or, no, what are we up to? It was one day, wasn't it? T20s. One day is now. You know, yeah, women's one day is and all that sort of stuff. And you've got this, suddenly you've got this crowd in, in a pub or in a restaurant or wherever it may be of, you know, a, a whole bunch of people watching this thing and getting into it. So I, I was in a place the other night where everyone had their phones on their table because there wasn't any TV screens at this club. Um, mm -hmm. Everyone had their phones at the table watching the women's ODI, you know, come down to the end. And Oh, sorry, T20. The ODIs are coming up. My bad. So why don't I know this? I should have known this. Anyway, I was watching <laughs> it. I can't even remember what format I was watching. Um, all white ball cricket is the same, let's be honest. But you're what? And that is people, Yeah, but you're watching it and everyone's getting into it, right? And you're mm. just like, this has become a cricket summer. And not all yeah. Ashes become cricket summers and not all World Cups. 2019 was huge because it had the World Cup and the, and, uh, and the Ashes. But not all summers become like this, right? And at the moment, this has become like that. And every time cricket has a moment like this, yes, the prime ministers and the politicians and the talking heads who don't know anything about cricket and all, all those sort of people get involved. But it is also a chance to advertise why we love this sport in the first place. 100% concur. I mean, I've been to England a couple of times, once during the 2019 World Cup, and I didn't see that sort of hype over there, right? I went to, I had to literally find a pub where they were showing the game because yeah. I couldn't find one. We went to many, several ones and what, none what of them had the cricket in? on. I was in London. Well, yeah, London, London's tricky for cricket. Um, you mm -hmm. find Manchester and uh, Leeds and Somerset's the best one. Somerset is the most crickety place in England. Mm -hmm. uh, Somerset's basically like it's called Siderabad, of course, uh, because the pitch <laughs> But it could be called Siderabad because the people there just absolutely love cricket. I remember in the 2019 World Cup going around the streets and like all the uh -huh. shopkeepers had cricket stuff up. Right. Mm. And it's like, so Somerset is a little bit different. But yeah, you do get that at times. I think by the end of the 2019 summer, after the World Cup, because we, England had won the World Cup, you know, and then you had the Ashes. It, it did get a lot bigger. But mm -hmm. you're right. It does take a lot, you know, whereas football, some footballer can fart, um, you know, during a game and there's like a cloud of smoke that comes out of his ass and, you know, be on the front <laughs> and back pages, right? So so there is an issue from that and we know that. Mm -hmm. um, but um, do you have any thoughts on the women's game? Because I, I would tell you this, this is the weirdest name drop ever, but it's completely by accident. Somehow I ended up having dinner next to Glenn McGrath 
right? Okay. While the women's T20 was on, right? So very, okay. very random. I'm not sure if the Glamour knows who I am, but somehow mm-hmm. we ended up at the same table next to each other having dinner. And we had the game there. And of course, England were in front for lo- what, the last three or four overs or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're pushing ahead. I, I only mentioned this story because the whole time McGrath was like, oh, they're going to lose. They're going to bottle it. Craig's going to win this. <laughs> Just because it was the most Glenn McGrath moment you could ever have. Very, very um, on brand with Pitch, yeah, I must say. Exactly. So um, uh, do you, I'm hoping you saw more or uh, have gone back to have a look at it. It was the first time, if I'm not mistaken, that Australia have lost a series of any kind in like a very, very long time, even if it's it's kind of a series within a series, right? Because the Ashes is the Test matches, the T20s, and the One Dayers. Yeah. And so it's like one section of that. But even so, the fact that we're mentioning it shows you how little the Australians actually lose. And they still gave it a big, big blow at the end. It, you know, Pitch mm-hmm. was quite excited towards the end. He thought Australia might steal yeah. it. Um, but it is quite a big moment for women's cricket for Australia to have lost a series, even if it's a micro series within a larger series. Particularly a T20 series because they've just been so dominant in that format recently won the T20 World Cup as well. And I will say this, that, you know, given that England have somehow managed to win this T20 series, they have sort of given them a good shot or themselves a good shot to actually win the Ashes because now it's 6-4, right? Australia is leading. Of course, they won the Test. And then England won the T20 series. So Australia just two points ahead. And if England win the ODI series, they tie it. If they whitewash the ODI series, I reckon they'll win it. So that is just good for the women's ashes in general it's healthy for it and i will i mean i didn't catch much of it i'll be honest but england have unearthed a new superstar you know the all-rounder uh, going by the name of alice capsi and yeah, she, her innings uh, was incredible a, yeah yeah she played a pivotal role in that final t20i and she won them the game and i just think that even though pound for pound i would take australia's t20i team but uh, barring maybe Beth Mooney, Elise Perry, um, Ashley Gardner. Oh, mate, she didn't have a good series. Talia McGrath, they were good in patches. Alyssa Healy never showed up. And I think that is one of the main reasons why they couldn't go on and win it. And then for, for England, Danny Wyatt won them a game. Alice Capsi won them a game. Sophie Eccleston was really good throughout. She also got runs with the bat in one game. And she's been bowling the last over. And that I find very, very fascinating. So I think it's good fun. I know um, Twitter user... WG Rumble Pants. He's probably the best person to talk about the women's ashes because he's been all over it. But I think no, it's no. Good the for best person there. is always the best person is always hypercost. You can't go past yeah. hypercost if you don't follow. If you follow <laughs> women's cricket and you're not uh, following um, hypercost, he's incredible. He won't come on any mm. of these podcasts, of course. Um, but mm. no, there's, there's some great people who are out there who cover it. In fact, but um, WG Rumble Pants is certainly another one. Um, mm. Let's uh, let's take a break. But I just want to say there's a, a bunch of um, people in the comments. So. Uh, if you're desperate for us to answer a question, you can always super chat us. But if not, mm. um, thank you to everyone who's in the comment. Thanks to Ahmed. Uh, Juggling Geek says, um, John Boy did a video about the best stump as a cricket has reached because of these ashes. To be fair, John Boy was on onto cricket well before these ashes. He didn't mm. need this. If you go back, you can see some of other John Boy's videos. In fact, I should probably get John Boy on a podcast at one stage, but that would <laughs> require me not having 83 test matches. Uh, thanks to Samit, Ahmad, um, All Things Cinema, Rahul, I mean, uh, uh, Dex, um, although Dex, maybe stop saying the same thing over and over again. Um, <laughs> Bob uh, and Keshev and everyone else. Uh, so many great people. Oren, um, everyone else. We, we can't get to all the chat. But remember, if you have questions, the best time to ask them is on Wagon Wheel Podcast, which I'll be doing you know, in a couple of days' time, I'm sure. Uh, but if you do have a super chat, you're desperate to get it out, uh, feel free. Um, but thank you to everyone for listening. We have We've covered the ashes, but we now have two retirements, World Cup qualifiers, mm-hmm. and the strange goings-on of the... Uh, 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 World Cup qualifiers? Is that what I meant? No, Afghanistan, Rafi, Bangladesh, uh, which yes. someone mentioned about 83 times in the uh, in the podcast as well. Um, <laughs> we also have, and I'm just going to say this because I think you might play this game as well. We also have a new sponsor, uh, mm. which is Wicket Cricket Manager. Have you played it yet? Yes, I really like it. It's, it's quite addictive really because I don't know if, about you guys, but I personally love simulation games and I've been waiting for a cricket simulation game. And this is so like widespread that you, you can select teams from, you know, across the cricketing globe. Like I'm managing yeah. the Islamabad Eagles right now and I have a game against the Rawalpindi Rats. So <laughs> big Twin City derby over there. But yeah, I think it's very, very interesting, very uh, 
intuitive sort of interface yeah. as well. You easy can do, to understand. The, yeah, you can do little things too. Like you, mm. you can change the size of your stadium to get more tickets. I mean, if you played some of the mm-hmm. football and the basketball ones, I'm assuming it's it's similar to those. Um, but I've only ever played uh, uh, cricket captain, which which was a great game, but hasn't really been updated in a very long time. And mm-hmm. this has so many cool things. So there's something I found today where you can you can upgrade yourself. And then you you can then uh, rig your pitches for whatever kind oh. of team that you have. Yeah, Mero <laughs> hasn't okay, even got then. to that level yet. Um, <laughs> although I did that and I still lost my last game, so I'm a little bit frustrated mm. at the moment. But the point is, it's a great game. Anyway, we're going to play an ad for it now if you haven't seen it. Um, but they've signed up for uh, quite a few months. They're supporting us. So even if you're not, even if you're just like, oh, I don't know if I like this, download this game and support um uh, help support us but also support them because uh they're trying to make a really cool cricket product and you know not all it i don't want to diss manscape because obviously you know uh sometimes you need to trim parts of your body but it's a lot mm-hmm. more fun to have cricket sponsors of stuff that me and bayram can play and eventually i'm sure yeah. if we can work out how to do it we'll be in a league against each other where the uh, what's your team called the islamabad Eagles. Eagles. We'll go up against the Melbourne Jokers um, Mm -hmm. and we'll see how we go. We'll take a quick break here and then we'll get back with the rest of the cricket. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Thank you very much. Back to the show. Okay, let's get to Tammy Bell. So mm-hmm. it, this happens all during the test match. And I'm going to tell the story as best I know it, right? Mm-hmm. And then feel free to give me any details because... You can imagine I was like, oh, Tammy McBell's retired. Oh, that's a story. Well, I'll have to think about that in a couple of days. And then <laughs> Tammy McBell's unretired. Wait, what? Yeah. I hadn't even processed the first part of this. So Tammy Iqbal retires. Mm-hmm. At one stage, the, I want to say president of Bangladesh or is it prime minister? Prime minister. Prime minister of Bangladesh mm-hmm. gets involved and says mm-hmm. to Tammy McBell, uh we kind of we're actually building a really good cricket team at the moment and we're starting to win and people are liking it again after a while and bangladesh needs this they need you to come back so within the space of 31 hours tamo mcbell retires and then unretires but he also if i'm not mistaken negotiates a holiday for himself um (laughs) as well and it is one of the more bizarre moments in sort of modern cricket i would have to say yeah, he's definitely pulled off a Shahida Afridi over here. I mean, <laughs> I had all of my farewell posts ready. I was like going berserk on it. I was like, oh my God, Tamim Iqbal is retired. One of the biggest, you know, cricketers to have ever played for Bangladesh. And here we are, he's back and now he has a vacation. So you got that part right. I can add a bit to the story. So it all Perfect. started with Tamim having um, a faulty back. He His back wasn't 100%. He had been honest about it. And when questioned about it, he had told, uh, I reckon, Nazmul Hassan, the BCB president that he's going to play the first game and assess whether or not his back is uh, doing well. So the BCB president did not appreciate that. He called it unprofessional and that interview was published in a newspaper. So that is what stirred everything. And then next thing you know it, Tamim Iqbal calls for a press conference. He has a very teary, um, you know, press conference says goodbye to the game in a very emotional manner, all formats. So it's very, very, you know, um, what's the right word over here? A dramatic. Final. Yeah. Yeah. That as well. And uh, next thing you know, you've got Mashrafi Murtaza, who has facilitated uh, a meetup between Tami Mikpal and Sheikh Hasina, who is Bangladesh's president. Not the first time she's gotten involved with something Tamim related. There was a story back in 2012 where Tamim was dropped for the team from the Asia Cup and then she intervened and Tamim was back in the squad. So there is precedent for this. And uh, yeah, so then Tamim goes on to post that you can't say no to the prime minister. And now we're Was back. President with or him prime minister? Because as... you said president a moment ago, but then you corrected oh, me. Oh, did before. I? So, Sorry. I'm so quite sure it's prime minister. Prime minister. Okay, gotcha. No, no, yeah, yeah. just because there's already a BCB president in this. So it's already, mm-hmm. there's already a lot of people with, with fancy titles. Okay. E- even that guy wasn't happy, right? The BCB president wasn't happy at all when he heard this news and he demanded Tamim to take his retirement back. But all things said and done, Tamim has a vacation now. He's probably going to be leading Bangladesh in the ODI World Cup. But what this has done, this entire episode, it's really papered over the cracks within Bangladesh cricket because they've been humbled 
by Afghanistan in the ODI series. They couldn't make 200 in two games. And this is a series at home. So I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I th- it was a very interesting, you know, I, so I have this weird relationship with someone, Iqbal, because I went, I saw him make the 100 at Lords, And it was mm-hmm. one of the last things I ever did as a cricket fan, right? So mm-hmm. I was already writing a blog. So things, that, and, and I did a little bit as a journalist, but I wasn't in the press box or anything else. And so I, like for me, I was like, oh, well, that's the end of my life as a cricket fan, right? That mm. Tamim is is kind of the last the last person mm. there, I, and I also understand that back injuries are for batters do eventually. I wouldn't say they end a, a lot of careers, mm. but generally, what happens is once you injure your back, you're never the player that you were before. You know, Michael Clark and. Uh, Mike Atherton and these sorts of guys, they really, really struggle from that point of view. And mm-hmm. it is tricky. And then you've also got the interference, of course, of the BCB of just being like, that's unprofessional. That's kind of what yeah. he should be doing, right? He should mm-hmm. be trying to see what he can do. I mean, that's a say, what, yeah. what he's having a go at is exactly what Ben Stokes has, has been doing in the last few tests, which is, <laughs> I think I can bowl. I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh, I can bowl in the first two tests. I can't really bowl in the third test. Maybe I'll bowl in the fourth test. I'll bowl a couple of overs and check it out. Like, mm-hmm. you don't know. I'm mowing alley in his finger. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. It's a remarkable story. But for Bangladesh, I just think that e- even if Tamim does slip a little bit and his back isn't mm-hmm. as good as it used to be, he's such an important player to them. There isn't an obvious, 100%. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there isn't an obvious replacement for him. Not even, even if he was just in the squad, his experience, mm-hmm. professionalism, everything he's been through is quite handy for them. They have to make sure that one way or another he is ha- happy and hopefully still helping out with Bangladesh cricket. Yeah. So he's also, made so- he's also someone who go- goes around very well, you know, with the youngsters. He's someone who lifts them up. And I think the one person who could probably answer all these questions is the coach. So Bangladesh's coach, uh, Chandika Hathurasinghe. I, I hope yep. I've gotten the pronunciation right. So the BCB president said that he had a chat with him and he wasn't happy at all. So this is the relationship that will probably matter most in months to come because those are going to be the two guys who are going to be at the helm in India. Tamim Iqbal, the captain, and the coach. So if that relationship is fine, I think everything's sorted. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's hopefully they have sorted it out. But I, what I would say is if you're running a cricket board and you've had a meeting with a player that has gone, or in this case, released a press um, interview with a player that has lost one of your best players from all three formats, you might want to rethink how you deal uh, with them because that's just, it's an untenable situation mm-hmm. going ahead. All right, um, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, I'm aware that this happened, I'm aware that there was mm-hmm. a game. Uh, I, I think, I forget who it was before, he was putting lots of different comments into the, um, <laughs> uh, in about it. About the game. Yeah, well, I mean, I've already mentioned that Bangladesh failed to score 200 on two consecutive occasions. So, I mean, you're not going to win a lot of ODI games if that happens. Mm. And uh, there's not much to write home about, really, with respect to Bangladesh cricket. So, I'll just go into, I'm just going to give you some context with respect to Afghanistan. Yes. I've probably mentioned this before that Afghanistan are probably set with respect to this spin attack, which is world-class and probably good for the next decade. And we know that they bring in a lot of quality. And if they are going to win some games in India later this year, it's going to be on the back of that spin attack. But another thing that they've gotten right for themselves or something that's been going really well is that now they have a left-arm pacer who looks like quality. Like Fazal Haq Farooqi has gotten six wickets in two games. And Azhar Mahmood is someone who has coached him at Islamabad United and is all praise. And this is some guy who could actually, you know, turn the tide with respect to Afghanistan's fortunes in the ODI World Cup and and limited overs cricket in general. So I think that is a main key takeaway. And also the fact that both their openers, Rehmanullah Gurbaz, who of course we've seen Mm -hmm. in a multitude of different franchise leagues uh, across the T20 circuit. And then Ibrahim Zadran, who is off to quite the start in his ODI career. I remember we covered him a few podcasts back Mm. that he was the quickest to 500 runs or something. Both of those guys got tons in the second ODI and got more runs in the first one as well. So I think Afghanistan have two really solid players opening for them who complement each other well. Zadran digs in deep, plays his shots, takes his time. And Gurbaz is just that flashy guy who, if he gets off, he could really, really hurt you. Rehmat Shah is a bit slow at first drop, but he's gotten runs. So I think they're a bit top-heavy. After that, they're relying on their all-rounders a little lower down the order because they've had a few retirements as well. Afghanistan look good. They've looked better than they've ever looked going into a World Cup. And now that their players are a bit experienced as well, Rashid Khan has been around for a while. 
Mohammed Nabi, even though you know he might not be at his best anymore, he is very, very experienced. I think they've got a team that could win them a few games because they haven't had that yet, right? They haven't won a game at the Cricket World Cup just as yet. So I would say watch out for Afghanistan because these are going to be Indian surfaces. And if they play at Chennai, I mean, I'd say they'd be level peggings with some of the bigger teams out there. I think they've won a game at the World Cup, haven't they? Because they might not have beaten a test nation at the World Cup. Mm. Didn't they beat Scotland in a ridiculous yes. game somewhere in, in, in I Australia? Think. I can't even remember where yes. the game was played. I know it wasn't. At, it was one of the few Scotland games I didn't go to. Where I think was it there, ten and eleven might have chased down a bunch of runs at the end, or certainly it was mm. a tail ender um, that was uh, number eleven or number ten that was involved. Um, but yeah, no, they haven't won enough games. Um, their biggest problem is that their ability to score two hundred and sixty consistently. Mm. which is what you really need to be able to do to keep yourself in so many ODI games, is not there. Right. Um, individual bowling talent, I don't think, is ever massively a problem, although I do think that their bowlers are more suited to T20 than they are to test mm. uh, Not test cricket, sorry, ODI. ODI. Um, but yeah, look, it's interesting. Um, someone, uh, who was it there? Um, Ahmed um, said, should Afghans be called the dark horses for the, the World Cup? I mean, they're not going to win the World Cup. Not quite. I think, I think that if them or... Uh, the, the, the best case scenario for them or Bangladesh should be to be in the running for a semi-final spot. Mm-hmm. If they can get to being in the running for a semi-final spot, that's huge for them. Yeah. Somehow, if somehow either of those teams manages to get in, I think that's also fantastic. But yeah, when no one's no one's sitting here thinking that. Um, just before we get to the World Cup qualifiers and the World Cup, now that we know what it is, mm-hmm. um, being that we're talking about retirements, we just go into the Embadu uh, Raidu retirement. Mm-hmm. So again. I'm going to give you what I know, which is very little. In fact, I think you texted me about it yesterday, and I was like, what's he uh-huh. talking about? And I, had, I had to go <laughs> look it up, uh, literally on, on in the car on the way back from Leeds. But mm-hmm. I wasn't driving, by the way. Um, Jeff Lemon was driving, if, okay. if, you, if you need it, um, to know why I wasn't driving. But you know, when, when, you get the, when I got that text, I had a look. So Raidu retired from IPL cricket. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think he's a fascinating player. We'll eventually do a big video essay on him. Mm-hmm. I just haven't got around to it. It might, might come out before the next IPL. But I think he's a fascinating player and he's been involved in so many random things in Indian cricket. It's just, it's mm-hmm. such a bizarre story. He retires. He then signs with the Texas Super Kings in mm-hmm. America for the Major League Cricket. And then that has now been revoked because the BCCI have a new rule, which says once, or I believe it's a new rule, although I think it might have been unspoken before, that you have to be retired mm-hmm. for 12 months before you can play in, in leagues outside of India. Mm-hmm. Now, have I got all that right? Yeah, I think you have, because Jay Shah basically came out and said that the BCCI is proposing a year-long cooling-off period for retired players, that they won't be able to or be allowed to play any franchise T20 cricket till after a year. Uh, when from when they retire. And I think this is quite absurd, really, because Ambati Raidu is not going to be playing for India anymore. So mm-hmm. basically, you're tying him down just to the IPL and he's gone out on a high. He's retired. He's won the goddamn IPL. And uh, I feel for him because I get it why India, you know, makes sure that their players don't play other leagues and focus on the IPL and Indian cricket. But we're going towards a future where global franchise T20 cricket is going to be huge. And you can see, like, the MCL, the, what is it, Major League Cricket, sorry, MLC. It's proof of that, right? Unmuk Chand is another Indian player who's gone down that route. And it's interesting how the BCCI really don't want any of their player pool to be engaging in cricket activities elsewhere. Mm. And a year-long cooling-off period means you're taking a year away from uh, an athlete. They already have a limited amount of years to earn their paycheck. So I feel for him, and I think... uh, I mean, the Super Kings franchise is going to be pissed, aren't they? Because uh, he was their player at Chennai mm. and the Texas Super Kings were going to be, uh, well, they were going to benefit from his experience a lot. And he's still a very, very good bat. Oh, so I think no this... doubt. Look, it's, it's weird. If you're yeah. going to make that rule, I think you have to then pay them for that year. You have to give mm-hmm. it, it. It has to be compensation. It has to be gardening leave, right? Yeah. You worked in the corporate world, you know. I, you know what I'm talking about. Where you leave a company, and the company says, "We don't, you know, you're an accountant for us. We don't want you to go and be an accountant mm-hmm. for the opposition. We're going to pay you for nine months not to work, right? Yeah. So that you don't work for anyone else. And then by the time you get there, that's fine. We'll have worked out everything that we need to know. No. And him. what happens if he does go on and play for the Texas Super Kings? Right? Are you going to find him? Like well, I don't get it. There's a reason why this exists, and it's because, and I think Oren put a message in. 
um, about the restriction of trade. It is obviously restriction of trade. It's nonsense. Mm. The reason he won't do it is because if he goes and plays now, there might be a no objection certificate um, situation where he might not be able to get that certificate, which would put the Major League Cricket in an awkward situation. But Mm -hmm. the other reason would be he would never get any commentary gigs. He would never get any coaching gigs. He would never get anything else. So what the BCCI are doing is fine if they pay for it. If they say, Mm -hmm. okay, well, over the 15 years of cricket where you played um, for India or available for India, you made this amount of money. We're going to even that out and say it's this amount. And so uh, per, that you got this much per year, we'll give you one year of that. So he doesn't learn, lose any um, income. I mean, he will. He might lose income if. if or or you could put an age sort age parameter to it, right? If you're under thirty, then with a predetermined retirement, you can have that clause. But if Raidu, who's probably like on the has wrong he, side of thirty by now, yeah. has he retired before? Mm. Uh, Raidu? Yeah. Yes, I think he has. So I that's the he... other thing, and this is <laughs> this is where I think what the IPL is also trying to say to players is: you can't retire from the IPL, go and play major league cricket, and then suddenly next year go. Do you know what? I'm feeling great. I can play in the IPL, mm. right? So I do think there's a lot of moving parts here. Um, but I've got, as I said, I've absolutely no problem. You can pro rata out how much he's going to get paid. Here's your gardening. What would what? I suppose we could call it gardening leave in cricket as well, because cricket is gardening on <laughs> the pitch. Um, here's your gardening sabbatical. leave. No, yeah, here's your gardening leave for the next year. We know that you could go and play in the T20 tournament, or you know, maybe mm-hmm. the South African tournament, or play some blast cricket, or whatever that may be, or go off to one of the more, you know, the other tournaments, whatever that may be. And we don't want you to do that. Mm-hmm. So we are now going to pay you for that the next year at a reduced rate. You're not going to get your full IPL salary from last year or anything like that. But we've looked at what you got paid over the course of your career, and we're going to give you this amount of money. I think that would be a mm-hmm. very, very fair thing to be able to, uh, to do or, or a way of looking at it. And if you're not going to do that, then what they're doing is just not, a, not acceptable, right? I mean, yeah. there's no other way around it. It's not an acceptable thing to do. I understand why they're doing it. They don't want Indian players going off and making money for other leagues. They don't mm-hmm. want players getting around the system by retiring and unretiring and retiring and unretiring, all those sorts of things. I understand mm-hmm. all that, but my point would be that it doesn't matter. As you said, if you're a 36-year-old mm-hmm. and you can no longer play in, uh, be a frontline player in the IPL, you, but you might still have four or five years of playing in English cricket. Uh, available mm-hmm. to you if you want to go and play first class cricket you might have a bunch of bouncing around smaller leagues that you can do you know to be yeah. able to, to take that away from someone just seems really really unfair but to be fair th- this is exactly exactly what i expect to happen to Raidu because every single thing in, in his cr- that can happen to a human being in a cricket career seems to have <laughs> happened to him at one stage which is why he's such a fascinating person anyway we'll take another yeah. break and then after the break we'll talk a little bit about the world cup qualifiers you're listening to the uncovered podcast i am jared kimber and with me is bayram kasi all right uh let us finish with the world cup qualifiers again I didn't see as much. I saw the Scotland game, a Scotland-Netherlands game, mm-hmm. which was fa- uh, fantastic, uh, you know, finished the way that Netherlands brought that off. Again, you know, someone who's worked for Scotland and knows a lot of those players and has also written about the history of Scottish cricket that is a little bit haunted and they don't make a lot mm-hmm. of these tournaments. It was a very, very sad moment, but couldn't be any happier for the Dutch uh, cricket, especially because it was the Dutch Second eleven is unfair, but not all the yeah. major Dutch players. And I think that with Scottish cricket and Irish cricket at times, that they've had some success with their lower level players. The Dutch really have probably been at their absolute best when it, you know, when all the you know uh, players like you know Joe Nannis and Tom Cooper and the guys, you know, as the South Africans who play county cricket, mm-hmm. and all those sort of guys have been available to them. For them to be able to achieve something this big over. Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. who played great cricket, West Indies, who's you know a major test nation, well used mm-hmm. to be major test nation. Um, mm-hmm. Scotland, who was playing really good cricket. I just think it's absolutely huge for Dutch cricket. And, you know, y- you watched a little bit of, that, of them last summer when they were playing Pakistan, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I watched a lot of them Pakistan, uh, last summer. I think I commentated on a huge amount of their game. Mm-hmm. There's no way the team I saw that last summer should have been qualifying for the World Cup. So huge shout out to them for how much they have improved in the space of 12 months. And the other thing that I would say here is that that was the best summer of cricket that Dutch cricket has ever had, right? Mm-hmm. As in, they played so many different teams, high-quality teams. Everyone went over there into it. And sure, there were low moments, like the, the world record against England. 
But you mm-hmm. have to say that in them playing all those teams, right, they have actually yeah. improved as a nation. And again, we're in the same situation here of going, if you let the associates play, they will get better. 100%. I mean, it's just like proof that exposure really does wonders. And Netherlands played the West Indies, played England, played Pakistan. They might have lost those games, but ultimately they've gone on to qualify for the World Cup. And I think it's very important to mention that all of that bowling attack or pretty much that bowling attack in its entirety that defeated South Africa in the T20 World Cup wasn't available to them in this uh, World Cup qualifier tournament. You have the likes of Roloff van der Merwe, who's a big player in that team, Fred Klaassen, Van Meekeren, and I'm probably forgetting a few names. King Ma is Brandon another Glover. one, I think. Brandon Glover. So all of those guys weren't at their disposal. And you really have to tip your hat off to two players in particular. Pastelader, I mean, his father has oh. played three World Cups. So he's carried on that legacy. Shout out to Shafkat Shabir, who brought that to my attention before Crick Info, which is why I'm giving you a shout out, Shafkat. And uh, yeah, I mean, he took a Pfeiffer and scored 120-odd at but ridiculous pace, right? In that game, like, if you sc- yeah. if, if that happens in a random game, you're like, well, I, and we all know how talented he is. I, you know, I've been yeah. writing a lot about him and following him for quite some time now. We know how to, but to do it in that game is just absolutely mind-blowing, mm-hmm. isn't it? High pressure, and uh, it's just his arc, which is so fascinating. You remember he got knocked on the face by Harris Ralph, right? And then that impacted Netherlands' uh, squad mm-hmm. composition and where he was playing, and then they went on to beat South Africa. Now they've gone on to qualify for the World Cup, and this is huge because here's a team which wasn't w- with their best 11, and they were up against quality, right? That win against the West Indies, they chased down, or didn't chase down, but they leveled their score of 370-odd, and then Logan Van Beek smashed yeah. 30 in that super over, and that was it, game, set, match. Um, they needed to and then, defeat And then Scotland. two wickets in the super yes. over as well. Yes, and they needed to defeat Scotland by a very, very hefty margin. They had to chase down 270 and 44 overs or something. Yeah. So to be able to achieve that against a team which was definitely pound for pound, you'd have to say better than them. And Scotland, you know, a lot of us were thinking they would go on to qualify after they defeated Zimbabwe. I think uh, we cannot possibly, you know, describe in words how big of an achievement this is for Dutch cricket. And I hope that they get some games in the build-up to the World Cup. I saw... Uh, KNVB Cricket post something on Twitter in which they were like, we'd love to play some games in the subcontinent. So I hope that Pakistan invites them. They're not playing a lot of cricket uh, before the Asia Cup. That would be great to see. And also they're looking for a sponsor, apparently. So if someone's watching this video, please go ahead and sponsor these boys. They deserve it and you'll get good coverage in the World Cup. So I think it's amazing. What a story. Love to see it. And uh, yeah, some European flavor to uh, our our game is uh, something that's very welcome. And also, Jared, we both were convinced that Zimbabwe were going to qualify. Mm. And they didn't. They lost two games in a row and their net run rate was so low that they didn't even have a shot prior to that Scotland-Netherlands game. Yeah. It's also just worth saying in general that there were, what, 13, maybe 14 teams in this tournament Mm -hmm. where you were just like, these are World Cup quality teams. And I think any World Cup in the world, and it's the same with the Olympics. It's funny that when the Olympics comes along, you know, Eric the Eel or, you know, or uh, whatever the other guy is, the the skier, I've forgotten his name. Mm. But those those sorts of people, they actually give as much to the World Cup as... Mm. Oh, sorry, to the Olympics, as the, the winners sometimes, right? Mm. But even if you pair it back, we now have 14 teams that are clearly of mm. World Cup quality. doesn't mean they won't get belted. Netherlands got absolutely belted by Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka's in a really weird situation. We've seen them in, in so many qualifiers of recent times where mm-hmm. s- no one in the qualification could play their spinners. But when they get to the next level, they can't rely on the spinners at the same level. Yeah. And they're just not as good a team. But, but, you know, you look at, you know, Ireland as, uh, you know, Ireland was not, did not have a good tournament at all, but they mm-hmm. still are definitely of World Cup quality, right? Yeah. And it just shows you how silly it is to be restricted. So I think it's absolutely mm-hmm. great that the Netherlands have, have got in, especially because it is such a tw- tight package. You know, this isn't like Netherlands have played at World Cups where they've just been there because the World Cup's been big enough and they've been available. Mm-hmm. This isn't like that. Right. They had to absolutely, you know, they'd beat two test, three test nations, right? Three mm-hmm. test nations Netherlands had to um, get past to get to this World Cup. Absolutely yeah. extraordinary from that point of view. But you look at the West Indies and Ireland and uh, Oman played some really good cricket at times. Mm-hmm. UAE is probably one of the few teams that you will look at and you go, maybe in a couple of years, I, they're still rebuilding mm-hmm. after everything that happened with them. 
There's so much talent out there. It's an absolute shame that we've still got this stupid um, yeah. uh, style of World Cup just because um, to placate uh, some teams and uh, and and because you you could have watch... like a 14 team World Cup and have two groups of seven and then the top two could qualify from those two groups of seven and that allows four no, more no teams you can't you can only have ten teams I think that's the law <laughs> I think I've I think I've checked. no look there's a million different ways I I would love mm. to have sixteen or eighteen or twenty teams mm. and then maybe in ten years time look to grow that even more. The quality mm-hmm. of cricket. I remember, you know, being involved with Scotland with the qualifiers for the T20. What was that, 2018 or 2019? Whenever I was there, mm-hmm. there's still good quality cricketers with Kenya, right? There's mm-hmm. so many players. You know, Singapore had you know this incredible run. It wasn't just Tim David on his. Tim David wasn't averaging 150 right. for Singapore and taking eight wickets every game, mm-hmm. right? They were winning games of cricket. They beat Nepal, right? Nepal yeah. can get better as well. Like there's so many Hong different Kong things that can. There's another one, right? Hong Kong's Kong done really well. qualified a few years ago as well. You're right. USA is obviously on the rise. So I do mm-hmm. think that, well, I said they're on the rise. They weren't particularly on the rise in this one. But USA could be on the rise um, is yeah. maybe the best way of putting it. So I do think there's a lot uh, to like about all those sorts of things. And I, th- I certainly think going ahead um, that this is uh, a very, very important change. But that doesn't take anything away from the Netherlands did or Sri Lanka in their victory yeah. either. But it, it's, yeah. just, it's just pointing out that what the game needs to be. Anyway, mate. Uh, and and uh, leave sorry, it? one last thing. No, one I was ending thing. the podcast. You heard me ending <laughs> the podcast. I'm just saying Sri Lanka will be a handful of this World Cup because it's in India and Tikshana and Hasaranga are a really good pairing. And also, if anyone is watching from the PCB, get, or get Netherlands to play in Pakistan. You owe them a debt from the T20 World Cup, okay? They deserve it. That's all. That's a fair point. I love that. (laughs) Uncovered podcast. He's Bayram Kazi. You can find him on Def Mango over on Twitter and whatever he's called on threads. Maybe the same thing. He called the same thing. (laughs) Nah, I don't use that app. So it's B Kazi. Very, very basic. Very vanilla. Find him wherever you need to find him, everywhere else. Um, uh, You can, uh, we've got a bunch of stuff coming out. We just had a video about the last day of the ashes. And if I finish it, Hopefully by Wednesday, there'll be a huge uh, piece on Steve Smith up on the YouTube. We've got plenty of other podcasts and everything else. The, my one final plea is please follow the uh, Jared Kimber podcast channel. If you love, especially if you're one of those people who's in the chat right now um, and, you know, and is, and is asking questions and w- want things to be answered, we will probably by the World Cup be exclusively doing these videos on the Jared Kimber podcast uh, channel, which means that by that point, your only way of watching them live will be there unless you want to go and find them on the podcast channel, uh, on in podcast apps so in, in normal places. But if you want to have them live, the Jared Kimber podcast channel is the only way to go. But for now, thank you very much and we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orajoti Saina Payu and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Sports Social Podcast Network.